Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a pretty tall order, don't you think? Something we find easy, something we enjoy doing. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Or maybe we prefer what it said a little bit earlier when it talks about taking revenge Maybe we would prefer just to take the revenge ourselves instead. 
It's a pretty tall chapter, pretty fantastic chapter, and it's a difficult challenge for us. This morning, uh, we start an entire new series called Followers of Jesus, and it is, uh, it is phenomenal that we're coming to this part, portion of the book of Romans, and there are two reasons that I'm really excited about this series, two reasons that I wanna share with you. Reason number one that I'm really excited about this is that, and if you haven't been part of this journey so far, is that so far, Romans chapter one to 11, all the way through so far, Paul has basically said, look, God called you, he loves you, you're his friends, and uh, therefore you can actually start this journey with me now, and you can enjoy this journey, and you can now live it this way here. So, chapter 12 onwards, I'll explain how it actually works out. This is why it's exciting. Into, in the church today, we're gonna unpack that today. This is part of reason number one, in the world, we're gonna unpack what happens next, which happens next week, a very controversial chapter, chapter 13, that's been used in different places to respond to compliance and authority and how we use that. In detention, we're gonna look at in detention as well, uh, following what it is to, uh, to follow somebody who's better than you, how to actually love somebody better than you. In the mission, what we're called to do together. In the community, I bet you thought this song was about you, but actually it's not, it's actually about somebody else. And then in the blessing, do we really actually care for anybody else? This is the tension and the beauty of this particular section as we follow Jesus. So I'm kind of excited about getting into the followers of Jesus right now. And then the second reason that I'm really excited about, which is gonna be very difficult for some of you, the second reason I'm really excited about this is because when we finish Romans, we start this Christmas series. <laughs> Can you believe that? I'm just like, and I love Christmas. I mean, I really do. I, like, I mean, I love Christmas. Like, if it was Christmas today, I'd be kind of excited a little bit more. I mean, and so as soon as we finish this, we literally go back to back into Christmas. Can you believe Christmas is that close? You're thinking, what? There's a thing in between called Thanksgiving? Ah, that's easy. Christmas. Oh, well, anyway, okay, so um, it's going to be amazing. So I'm excited for those two reasons. One, that uh, we get to celebrate all that God has called us to and to that Christmas is coming soon. Um, now, when you look at this chapter, chapter 12, and you heard it just read by Clark, thank you for that, uh, chapter 12, it's, it's divided up into three headings. People insert headings inside there all the time in their Bibles, and there's lots of ways to describe this chapter. It's a really rich chapter, lots of information inside there. Verses one to two, uh, in, in my version of the ESV, it says it's a living sacrifice, the NIV says the same thing, and the New Testament for everyone, NTE, says the living sacrifice. I mean, just pretty straightforward, the first two verses there, it says it's all about worship, it is a living sacrifice. The next few verses, though, verses three to eight, uh, most Bibles will say it's a gift of grace, or it's a humble service in the body of Christ, or how do we live together in the Messiah, which is kind of a, a good call for us to be together here. And then the final verses, nine to 21, uh, some Bibles, my Bible says that the marks of true Christianity, or love in action, or living alongside the world. I thought that was a really good title inside there. Eugene Peterson, though, when he writes the message, he just has one title. Because, you know, Eugene kind of like throws away the, the nomenclature. He, he just says, who needs verses? <laughs> I'm just gonna describe this entire chapter with one title. And he does it like this. He says, place your life before God. That's what he says. If you're gonna be in the church, place your life before God. If you're gonna live in the church, you're gonna follow Jesus, place your life before God. And how do we do that in the church is the really trying thing to be able to understand this. And you have to kind of like soak it in a little bit. 
A while back, I, I shared with you some leadership principles that I got from a friend and combined with some that I had written as well. And so these leadership principles were that, you know, if you're going to make a big decision, if you're going to lead something, you need to be self-aware, you need to be vulnerable, you need to have a lot of candor, you need to have emotional agility, you need to be able to sit with tension, and you need to also wrestle with whether there's relief or regret with the decision. Sitting with tension is something we're not very good at. Opening the Word of God, opening up this passage in Romans chapter 12 and just saying, I'm just going to open this passage up here and just sit with this passage and let it rest in me and see what God has to say to me is very difficult for us. Because what we want to do is we want to read this and say, well, come on then, tell me, tell me something straight away. But actually, if you just allow the passage to speak to you slowly, you allow it to soak in, there's a lot inside this passage. And in fact, I really want to kind of focus just on the first two verses in the entire chapter. I mean, I could talk about everything else inside here, but I just want to talk to you about the first two verses in the entire chapter, because the first two verses are so rich, so challenging, so deep. You read them so quickly, you don't even realize that there's so much inside this. So I'm going to break it down sentence by sentence to you and just kind of like unpack it and just go with me a little bit on this journey, and then you'll see when we come to the end how it actually calls us to kind of a difficult place because it is calling us to be in the church here. It begins with these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And as I've already said, Romans chapter 1 to 11, something must happen before there, therefore, he's saying this. So there is this mess in the world. He says, Paul says, look, there's a mess in the world. God says, I'm going to send the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and it's in Jesus Christ that everything will be restored. So your identity is not in your gender. Your identity is not in your country. Your identity is not in your history. It is in Jesus, and when you do that, you start to see your gender, your country, and your history entirely differently. And this is the appeal of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, because he says, I want you to kind of like understand that if you have Jesus as the kind of driving force of who you are, he appeals to us, you will start to see something amazing inside you. Now, I see there's a lot of new people here today, so I'm just going to explain this, and there are, there's going to be like an audible sigh from some people, because they know what I'm going to say, right? What am I going to say? Nobody knows, this is great. I'm not gonna mention anything to do with toys, but Technic and Duplo are really important. All right, here we go. When you're gonna understand the Bible, uh, there is the Duplo method, which everybody has to do, which is read the whole big picture, and the Technic, which is the really fine detail. I'm gonna just explain some Technic stuff to you, so you're getting like, oh my goodness, this is so Technic, and then we'll eventually come back to the Duplo, and you're like, ah, oh, release, happiness, joy, I'm okay with you. So just come with me on this journey of Technic a little bit, see something kind of amazing inside the text inside here, and uh, you will actually start to piece together some things that are kind of miraculous inside here uh, that Paul is pulling aside. So we read the word, I appeal to you brothers, and uh, what we don't understand is that there's a Greek word here, uh, parakalo, that he's using inside here, that Paul only uses one other place in 2 Corinthians 1.3, and in the other time that he uses it in 2 Corinthians 1.3, he's basically saying God is a God of comfort, all right? So he says, God is a God of comfort. So when he says, I appeal to you, what he's really saying is, I appeal, I comfort, I encourage, I advocate, I'm calling you in, I have all these emotions are wrapped up inside there, all right? We read in English, I appeal. I'm like, all right, that's good. But actually he's saying, I'm actually encouraging you. I have like a, an investment inside here. Then he says, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. This is the same idiom that he uses in other places as well, in Romans chapter 11, 30, 32, last week we mentioned this, that you receive mercy so you can give mercy. 
Another way to translate mercy would be compassion. You receive compassion so you can give compassion. All of this is so that we actually can live a life that is full of compassion and mercy. And when we do, we are different people. This is what Paul's saying. He said, I want you to understand, I've told you everything from Romans 1 to 11. I've explained the entire gospel to you, and now you're here in chapter 12. I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna bring this deeper theology to you. I'm gonna bring this point to you to understand that to live this, you have to have compassion and you have to have mercy in order to live everything that I've told you about in Romans chapter 1 to 11. If we connect to those in authority, which we'll do next week when we talk about this, with compassion and mercy, we are different people. If we hear the stories of each other with compassion and mercy, we are different people. It almost sounds, it almost sounds like we're a healthy family. I know, kind of radical idea that God says that we should be a healthy family together. So now let me pull this all together. Romans chapter 12, verse one, Paul, when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the mercies of God, what he's saying is this, I am bringing you encouragement and compassion. And when he ends it, when he gets to the end of Romans chapter 15, coming to the end of Romans chapter 15, verse five, he says, encouragement and reliability. He bookends this entire section for us. He says, I want you to understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It is compassion and it is encouragement. It's encouragement and reliability. So we have to live encouragement, we have to live compassion, and we have to live reliability, all right? Now the text continues a little bit deeper. It says you need to present your bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So the metaphors are rich for them. They understood sacrifice. For us, we're like, oh, we don't do sacrifices every day. We don't go to the temple every day. For them, they're like a living sacrifice and the body? The body was always compartmentalized for them. They believed that everything you did in the body was evil. Everything you did in the spirit and soul for them was good, and so they would say, well, that's only body stuff. This is actually what I'm thinking in my mind is okay. But in the Bible, the Bible says there's actually just one concept, it's all together. God breathed, Nefesh, he breathed the breath of life into us. We became a living being. And that living being is holistic, it's all together inside there. So that's why he says, I actually ask for you to not die, but I actually ask you to be a sacrifice that is alive, that is continually going on. Paul, of course, where's he getting this idea from? He gets this idea from Jesus, because he's heard what Jesus has said. Jesus said in Luke chapter nine, he said this in Matthew as well, and other places as well, he said, look, I want you to take up a cross and die daily. We often read the, the, the idea of taking up a cross and thinking, what does he mean by that? He's saying, every single day, I need you to be engaged in a journey with me. It's not like you do it every now and again, it's every single day that you do this, you will actually grow with me. If you do this, you become a stronger people. So Paul's really saying, man, I, before, I, before I launch all of it to tell you what it's like to be in the church, please make sure that you understand that God encourages you, he has compassion, he really means this, and on top of that, he wants you to do this every single day. And what you do has to be holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is a, a, a metaphor inside here of human characteristics that he's using about how God would say when the sacrifices were done, it was like a sweet aroma, right? He would say that the sacrifices, anything that would come to me, I wanted to smell the joy of it. The sanctuary would smell good. I hope one day when we have HVAC inside the sanctuary here, that we'll actually be able to smell nice. It smells okay now. 
one day it's going to smell really good. Oh, you'll walk in here, you'll actually smell the church miles away. He'll be like, you know how, you know how when you go to the supermarket and uh, they actually infuse the smell of bread at the entrance? It's, uh, they put that inside there through the vents to make sure that you're, oh, it should feel, it's fresh bread and the bread has been cooked like five days ago. But they just put it inside there so you feel like you're inside that. I want you to be able to walk in the sanctuary and kind of feel like, hmm, that feels good. The, the, the first testament was full about the experiences of the senses inside here. So he's saying, look, I want you to understand that there is encouragement and compassion. I want you to give 100% because God enjoys the joy with this. And then he comes to the hard words. After he says, God is doing everything for you, He's pulling you for all of this. He then says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Conformed versus transformed. Both are gonna be forming. One's gonna be a con. One's gonna be a transforming. That's gonna be a transformation that's gonna take place in your life. When we're conformed, we are broken away. When we're transformed, we're actually gonna be healed. A few years ago, uh, the Church of England um, was discussing whether they should allow women to be bishops. Our church already sorted that out, uh, allegedly. Um, so the Church of England was discussing this a few years ago. Um, and uh, and uh, when they were discussing this, the, the church was voting like, it was, I think it was 2012, they were like voting, no, we're not too sure if this is gonna be working out fine. They were doing this. The Prime Minister at the time in England, David Cameron, he was quoted in the papers, uh, in the Times, he said this, he said, uh, to the bishops, he said to the Church of England, just get with the program, all right? Join the 21st century, get with the program. Now, we all understood what he was saying, he was just saying, come on, wake up, come and join us. But one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, and uh, I've actually written in dialogues with him about some stuff, about theology and so on, he, was, he happens to be the former Church of England bishop. He wrote uh, in the papers at the same time a response to David Cameron. Now you need to know that N.T. Wright actually is a major advocate for women being bishops. Uh, he actually does believe that the Bible teaches that you're called by God, welcome, all right? It's pretty simple. Um, God doesn't say, pull your pants down, let's check this out before you can actually be a follower of God. Uh, he says, welcome to the kingdom, uh, and you're welcome inside there, right? So this is, this is where he stands with this, right? And so he wrote a reply, and his reply was actually kind of a, a very serious, very direct reply to David Cameron's statement about the government saying to the church, get with the program. And this is what he said. Uh, the gospel was foolishness to the Greeks, said St. Paul, and a scandal to the Jews. The early Christians got a reputation for believing in all sorts of ridiculous things, such as humility, chastity, and the resurrection, standing up for the poor, and giving slaves equal status with the free, and for valuing women more highly than anyone else had ever done. All right? Okay, so this is what he says. Then he says... People thought they were crazy, but they stuck to their countercultural gospel. Are you with me? If the church had allowed prime ministers to tell them what the program was, it would have sunk without trace in 50 years. If Jesus had allowed Caiaphas or Pontius Pilate to dictate their program to him, he wouldn't have been a church in the first place. All right? When you conform, you simply bow down to the dictates of whatever society is telling you. 
This is what Paul's saying. I don't want you to conform. Don't just fall for people's marketing, for their adverts. Don't become a clone. Don't become like everybody else, identical to that. Don't do it because somebody else just said you should do it. Use your noggin. Use your brain. Think. And this is what God says all through the entire Bible. He's constantly saying, I'm never afraid of a question. I am, after all, God. <laughs> I created you, I love you, and I want you to be engaged with me, and I want you to follow me, but I want you to come and dialogue with me inside here. And the difficulty is that we have so many times just kind of moved away from these kind of hallmarks that we don't understand how important it is to understand that conforming has never been the way of Christianity. Our refusal to conform to the world is actually a hallmark of Christianity. It means that we sometimes stand alone. Do you understand that? Sometimes we stand alone. It means that several times that we actually don't get to hear what everybody else says is the popular decision about this. It means that sometimes we take a decision that's not because the majority decided, but because it's actually the right thing to do. When everybody else says it's the wrong thing to do, but God says it's the right thing to do. I've been reading several commentaries on Romans throughout the year, and, um, and then uh, when there's a really great commentary, you know, by N.T. Wright, uh, I'll write to them, or if uh, I, I've been reading this one particular commentary by a guy called Michael Bird. He happens to teach in a university in, uh, in Melbourne. So I've been writing to him uh, about it and dialoguing with him. I was going to try and listen to him speak. He's going to be in Denver November 14. I happen to be away that day. Uh, and his commentary is pretty phenomenal on the book of Romans. Um, and this is what he says when he's talking about this particular passage and this particular session, section here. He says, do not be surprised when a contemporary Kaifa says your views on the uniqueness of Christ are blasphemous to a pluralist society. And he tears his Aramaic tunic in disgust. Get ready for postmodern pilots to mockingly ask you what is truth. Be prepared to have secular Sanhedrin forbid you from speaking about Jesus. All this comes from a refusal to be conformed to the world. You may want to take a photo and memorize that because it's a deep call. It's a deep call to us to remember that when God calls you, God calls you to something that actually isn't always just popular. It's not always the easiest thing. So here's the tension that we have inside the church. It's not about being, in this country here, about being Republican or Democrat. It's not about being conservative or liberal. I can't stand those words. It's not about being traditional or progressive. I can't stand those words either. When Jesus sat down with the woman at the well, he said to the woman, listen, I want to tell you a story. And then she said to him, as a reply to the story, when he confronted her about what was going on in her life, right, she pushed back on him because she's like, ah, you're getting too close to my heart, and I don't know if I want to speak that close. So she said this, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She says, look, Samaria's over here, Jerusalem's over here. I'm pretty sure traditional, liberal, Democrat, Republican, I'm pretty sure it must be one of these places, progressive or not. I mean, it must be one of these places. And Jesus replied to her, the hour is coming. It's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeking people who worship him. That's what he's looking for. It's not about left or right. It's actually about being with Jesus Christ inside here. There will be a day when you'll understand that to be a follower is to claim that we actually follow Jesus. I mean, it's complicated, I know. 
you have to say, you have to say, I like Jesus, hard as it may be. I want to follow Jesus, hard as it may be. I'd like to be identified as a follower of Jesus, hard as it may be. That's what it comes down to. And this, he says, is because you're transformed, now it gets really crazy, transformed by the renewal of your mind, your noggin, your brain. We don't like to study. We don't like to open the Word of God. We don't like to engage in it. We like somebody just to spoon feed us all the time, everything. We are consumers of faith. We just go to the next best thing all the time. Our loyalty to our community, to our tradition, to our following of Jesus Christ is fleeting. People just flip off and off just like that. Didn't like the color of the chairs. I used to work in a church where literally people left because they didn't like the color of the chairs. That was what it came down to. Or people didn't like the order of service. I mean, the most ridiculous things that people get hung up on. And I'm saying, where are your, is your heart? What are you doing? How are you actually being renewed in your mind? Because you're no longer using your mind anymore. You're just not even using your heart. I don't even know if you actually opened your brain yet. I mean, seriously, just a little bit of it, just a, a fraction of this kind of stuff. So there's one word, one word that's not inside ancient Greek that only Paul uses. So this word is a great word, it's anachronosis. It just says this, it basically he says this, look, I, and he says it only two times in Romans 12, 2 and Titus 3, 5, he basically says this, the renewal, the renewal of the mind is something that takes place that only happens when God does this in you. You open your mind to God and you talk to God. And the Spirit of God speaks to you through his word here. It is called intelligent faith. We all need intelligent faith, not to be blind, not to be conformed. We need to have intelligent faith, that is to be a follower of Jesus, is not to give up your thinking. If you are gonna give up your thinking, you might as well just go join a cult. Because that's what cults want you to do. Come, just be like us, we'll tell you exactly how to do, how to be, exactly how to do things. When you think, you become a human being. And God created us to think. <laughs> He created us to open the Word of God and to study it. Intelligent faith says, I need you to be transformed and to be followers of church and when, followers of Jesus. And when you are, you actually are in the church. Then he starts to list off all these beautiful gifts inside Romans chapter 12. And he lists off all the things that you can do, the gifts that you can offer, the things you're called to, the creativity that you imagine to. This is intelligent faith. He says, this is what an intelligent family looks like. An unhealthy family is an incestuous family. A really healthy family, we have diversity of people. We have different opinions. We have people with different ideas. And they all come together and they worship together and they unify. Do you know what they unified over? Our love for Jesus Christ. That's what it brings us together. It's not our logo, it's not our brand, it's not our image, it's actually our love for Jesus Christ. And Paul launches this through this saying all the time, I want your love to be genuine. I want you to be followers of Jesus with a true heart. Sometimes we get kind of lost inside the text and we go to the list and we start to think of all the ministries inside there and think, that's the things that I need to do. And then we get down to the end inside there of Romans chapter 12 and he says that because of your true love, because of this true love that I've called you to, I want you to understand that I actually understand all the pain that you're going through. And Moses actually explains this really, really well in Genesis chapter six, right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter six, when, when people are trying to understand who God is. And Moses says in Genesis chapter six, right at the beginning here, says, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and he grieved him to his heart. 
This is not where God destroys humanity. This is where he decreates to recreate humanity. And so the story of the flood takes place inside here, and what happens inside these chapters is that you list inside here uh, an entire crisis taking place. And effectively, God says, look, I've created a church. It's called the ark, and there's a storm going on, and the world is rough. And I know, I know, because I've talked to a lot of you. I know what's going on. A lot of you have hard weeks. You have hard days, the hard lives, things are going on in your personal lives, in your private lives, in your companies, in your jobs. You're under pressure all the time. And God says, that's a storm all the time around you. And I create this church called the Ark. The problem is that we want our Ark to be sanitized, right? We want it to be like a cruise ship where you don't even shake hands, we just elbow everybody because you're scared of diseases. But actually, when I read the story here, they had animals. And they were like doing their stuff inside there. In the ark, it's messy. And it's supposed to be messy inside there. The sea roars around us and we get angry with all the animals inside the ark. It smells at times, it gets irritable at times and we disagree with each other. We're supposed to disagree. Because we're not clones, we use our brain and we think. But then he tells us that uh, when we overcome evil, we're supposed to overcome evil with love not with revenge. We're not supposed to get angry. We're supposed to actually apologize to each other. We're supposed to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say, blessed are those who are gonna go around bashing everybody in their head and sorting out and cleaning the ark up. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Let's make this church a place that actually exists where people are peacemakers inside here, where the center of the story is always that God knows us and God is with us. And when you read the story in Genesis, by the way, and a little technical note, there's a chiastic structure inside, there's one verse that's central. Genesis chapter eight, verse one, comes out as the whole point of the whole story of the flood. It's not about the water rising, it's not about the water disappearing inside there, it just says this, and God remembered Noah. That's what the story is. I never forget you, I never leave you, I never walk away from you, I remember you. Whatever's going on in your life, I remember you. And I tell you this, I read this over and over again. Romans chapter 12, just like, just, it's deep. It's a call, yes, the church. It's a call, yes, if you get good at ministry, do it, do it well inside there. But deeper than that, God is saying, I want to encourage you with compassion and with love to live a different way. To be a people who use your brain so your brain is in sync with your heart. So that when you live this way, oh man, ministry is different. People do things wrong, you won't seek revenge on them. You will actually understand that we can look after each other. My wife's already left, so I can say this now. Um, she's taking my son, he's gonna be leaving to go home, uh, back, to his, uh, back to his place of study. And uh, she wrote this in 2015, so I'm gonna quote her because she's gone. Uh, describing the church, he said this, support, encouragement, even gentle correction when necessary. Notice she said gentle correction, gentle. These may be the best reasons to be part of a community of faith. Encouragement, support, even gentle correction when necessary. We need sometimes to be keepers and we need sometimes to be kept. Hmm? I need to be kept and you need to be kept. Sometimes we are the keeper, sometimes where the person is kept. But that's the church, and that's what you're called to. 
Don't go anywhere else. Look to Jesus and he'll keep us.